born and breathe in air and have reason to understand between right and wrong, we are a sinner. We have a sin nature in us. Because of that sin, a just God cannot allow it into heaven. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they broke fellowship with God. But God loved them so much, and by the way, He loved you so much, that He said, I'll make a way for them. Even though they've sinned, even though they've chosen to go a different direction than my will was for them, even though they've gone into sin, I'll make a way. And there is a payment for that sin. It's a very costly payment. Jesus Christ came a little over 2,000 years ago and lived a sinless life on this earth and went to the cross for my sin and for your sin. He paid it for us so we would not have to. He was buried in the grave for three days. He rose after the third day. And then He offers, He offers to you and I forgiveness for our sin. What an amazing God. We were studying the book of Micah this morning in Sunday school. In chapter 6, He talks about His long-suffering, or his, I'm sorry, chapter 7 I think it was, about how He was gracious, how that His judgment would not last forever, but that He would restore Israel once again, and it spoke to His merciful nature. Even though He's a just God, in fact, the Bible says that He loves mercy. He loves extending it. He loves giving mercy. But He is a just God. And if man chooses not to accept what He has done for them on Calvary, then His judgment will be given to them. But rest assured, that's man's choice. Not God's. God's not willing, the Bible tells us, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus said He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. He came to save us from the condemnation. Somehow, in the world we live in, they have so misconstrued what Christ came for, they make it sound like He's some mean uh, God upstairs that comes down and dominates man with an iron fist and makes them do certain things and, and brings judgment upon them if they don't. God gives man a free will. He doesn't make us do anything. But understand that our consequences and our decisions do have... Uh, the, the, the con- Our actions, our decisions have consequences to them. And if we choose not to accept what God has done for us, then we will die one day and go to a hell. Not for a length of time, but for eternity. And I've heard people say, Pastor, I don't think a loving God would send anyone to hell. I agree with that. I think a loving God would do everything He could to keep man out of hell, short of forcing them to do so. And Jesus did just that. God reached down one day and or looked down one day and sent his own son to die in your place and in my place. And then he then he doesn't make us earn it. He gives it to us for free. All we have to do is put our faith in it, to trust it. If we have not done that, then that's on us. That's not on him. Our time in hell for eternity, and I'm not talking about just a few years. That's on us, not on Him. 
if we choose not to accept Him as our Savior. We choose not to put our faith in what He has done for us on Calvary. I hope that every single one of us have realized this. You can't earn it. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us in verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God knew that if we could earn our way to heaven, we would take credit for it. I don't know about you, but I find that I'm a lot more proud than I like to be oftentimes. We tend to be that way as humans. We would like to take the opportunity to take credit for it. God wants to give it to us for free, not work for it. You can't work for it. In fact, if you feel like I was talking to some folks a while back and they said, I just don't understand, it should cost me something. It should take more than this. No, God made it for free. He gives it to us freely, and it is our choice whether we trust Him as our Savior or not. I hope and I pray everybody's done that. If you've not done it today, that decision can be made. You don't have to come to an altar to make it. Some people do. But you do need to spend a few moments with the Lord and tell the Lord, I'm putting my faith and my trust in you and mean it from your heart. I want to trust you as my Savior. I want that forgiveness of my sin. I'm going to trust what you've done for me on Calvary as payment for my sin, and that's what I'm trusting to give me a home in heaven for all of eternity. Make sure he knows that, and he does. He knows your heart better than you know your heart. But that's the decision that ought to be made today. Don't wait. We're not guaranteed another moment. I was reading a uh, a story in Reader's Digest a number of years ago of some geologists that went down into a volcano. I shared this recently in our church. They were studying some things down in South America in an active volcano, and they uh, saw some unusual readings, and they went to get their equipment. Over Two of the scientists went over the rim and went down to get their equipment. And while they were in there, the volcano erupted, and, of course, it killed the two men that went over the lip, and another man or two as they were coming down the side of the volcano were killed in the, the aftermath of it. And the person that was writing about the story, it was an actual true story that happened, had happened, he made this observation in his story. He made the statement, and I'll never forget reading it. He said, mercifully, it was over in an instant. And I sat there in that hospital waiting room as I read that uh, Reader's Digest story, and the thought came to my mind, was it? Was it over for them, mercilessly, mercifully? Or did they just go from one searing heat of the volcano into a place that the Bible says there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and where the worm dieth not? Where the heat is so intense that the rich man asked Lazarus just to drip the tip of his finger in water and cool his tongue. For he was tormented in the flames. I can't imagine anyone knowing the sinful condition of our nature and knowing the mercy and the grace of God that gives to every man freely his salvation, those that are willing to put their faith and their trust in Him. I just don't understand why a person would reject that. Why they would say, I don't want it. 
I would hope and pray that every single person here, I don't care if you've been coming to church for 50 years, coming to church will not save you. Singing in the choir will not save you. Teaching a Sunday school class will not save you. I'll, I'll be real frank with you. Standing behind a pulpit and preaching will not save you. Only if you have put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, do I have to be part of Keith the Heights Baptist Church in order to go to heaven? No. We'd like you to because we enjoy the fellowship, but you don't have to go to this church to be saved. Well, do I have to get baptized? No. You just have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to trust what He's done on Calvary. I hope that we know that in our hearts, that we understand that truth. And uh, I hope and pray if there's someone here today that does not know that, that they would take the time today to make that decision. We're teaching on the Beatitudes, and I have for several weeks. I've not shared a lengthy time of, of the salvation message. And I, as a pastor, I like to make sure that oftentimes we share that in the services. Because I don't ever want to take advantage or, the, or for granted the fact that every person in here is saved. I sat in a, a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. I sat in his home for 13 years, having never trusted Christ as my Savior. I oftentimes think of what would have happened had I died before then. And there were plenty of opportunities. I was one of those kind of kids that just always seemed to get into messes. I look back and I think it was the grace of God. And I hope and I pray. I, if I preached all of my life and you never heard out of my mouth the message of salvation, I will have failed. Because the most important thing is to make sure that you are saved, that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Everything else in the Bible, we can add to that, but that is the foundation of a Christian life. That is the decision that must be made. And I hope and I pray that you've made that today. Let's look in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Jesus is teaching His disciples, and, and He is discipling them. He's teaching them how to live, um, what, what it is that pleases Him and what displeases Him, and, and uh, the way a Christian ought to uh, uh, present themselves. If you're going to be a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of His, and, and uh, seek to have a life that emulates Him and to serve Him, uh, these are lessons that he teaches his disciples at the onset. They're foundational truths. He spends three and a half years teaching his disciples. And yet these are the first things that he lays down. Uh, things that are critical. And the first three Beatitudes that we find uh, in verse number 3, let's start reading in verse number 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And those first three are really crucial because they deal with the inner man. They deal with what we are on the inside. And he's teaching his disciples, before I teach you things that you need to have outwardly going on, the inner man has to be the root of that. It has to be the thing that these other things spring out of. It has to be that 
uh, that uh, that nature inside that uh, the other things that I'm going to teach you will be the fruit of that. And so he teaches his disciples, first of all, to be poor in spirit, to be mournful over, uh, I believe, over their sin, the things that Christ was mournful over, and uh, that they are to uh, be meek and uh, to take their will and willingly give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want my will, I want your will. Even though God gives us a free will, God allows us to choose for ourselves. What He desires is for us to take that liberty that He's given to us and lay it back at His feet and say, Lord, I want Your will done in my life. You're not forcing me to do Your will. I long to do Your will. And that's the idea of meekness given in uh, the third of the Beatitudes. Then we uh, studied the last few weeks, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. And I found over the years that when I get to the place where the things of the Lord don't seem to thrill my heart and don't seem to stir my heart the way that they were, it generally is because I'm feasting on other things, uh, things of this world. And I begin to get uh, burdened down with some of the cares and the affairs of life. And I don't have the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ the way that I should, nor do I spend the time with Him in uh, devotion and talking with Him and reading His Word and, and uh, 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 meditating and thinking on Him as I should. And uh, so it's very important that we have a hunger and a thirst for the things of the Lord. And if we don't, uh, perhaps it's because we've been filling ourselves with other things that have taken the place of that hunger and that thirsting. Verse number 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful. We spoke on that a couple of weeks ago. Last week we dealt with verse number 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. And today we're going to be looking at verse number 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer once again. Father, I do ask that you would do a work this morning. And Lord, the heaviness of my heart often is I think that there are so many in this world that still have never trusted you as their Savior. And it is my hope and my prayer that there would never be a person that would come and sit in these services not knowing that they're saved, that leave still not knowing and unsure of how to be saved. I pray that they would understand this truth, that we're all sinners. There is not one thing that we can do to redeem ourselves. But Lord, You have paid the price for us. You have redeemed us. And if we will simply put our faith in You, then You will save us from our sin. You will show us mercy. And You will extend Your grace to us. And You will forgive us of that sin and allow the penalty of it to rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that You would help every single one of us gathered here today to understand that truth and to have made that decision. And Lord, if there, has not, if there is someone here that has not done that, May Your Holy Spirit bring to their heart the conviction that is needed. May it continue to uh, speak to them and to uh, prick at their heart till they make that choice and they get that matter settled. For Christians that are here today, Lord, I pray that we'll learn and glean things from Your Word about uh, discipleship and the things that You have taught Your disciples. And may they be a challenge to us and a help to us. May they stir our hearts and uh, that they would... Um, impress upon us the urgency of being serious and maturing in the Christian life and growing to be the type of person that You would want us to be. 
May we learn to imply these things to our hearts and to our lives, and they be the fruit of your Holy Spirit doing a work in the inner man. We pray that you'll bless all that we say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we deal with this idea, the blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I uh, was giving some thought to this and uh, preparing some notes for it, and I began to think, you know, one of the biggest things that people in the world today are seeking is peace. It's amazing how I think back to even before I got saved, uh, even though I grew up in a pastor's home, there was a lot of unrest in my soul. There's a lot of unrest in my heart. Things that I could not understand, questions that uh, I had that I could not seem to answer. And uh, then as I began to realize and understand my sinful condition and the fact that I needed to be saved, there was an uneasiness, an anxiety there. I remember as I began to realize those things when I was about 12 years old, uh, I remember many, many nights dreaming and waking up in a cold sweat as I dreamed uh, some things about the uh, the Lord coming back and taking those that Christians that were saved uh, up to heaven with Him. And I was left here behind. And I would wake up just thinking, I, I'm not saved and I need to get this matter settled. And I just I, I would cry out to the Lord and I'd say, Lord, I need to get this settled. And I just couldn't seem to bring myself to that point. And I struggled, and I struggled, and I struggled. I'll tell you this, I had a lot of unrest in my soul. I had a lot of lack of peace in my soul. And I'm thankful that the Lord is the one that gives us the peace. We're living in a world today that, to be real frank with you, is craving for peace. Not just nations and countries, but men and women. In the society we live in today, I don't know how many times in a week's time I come across people that are going through problems and struggles in life, and sometimes it seems that they're at their wit's end. They don't have the answers for life. Life is confusing to them. Suicide rates are at an all-time high in epidemic around our country because people are, don't have peace. Uh, they're looking for answers in all the wrong places. The world tries to seem glitzy and glamorous and say the more you get and the the better your life can be and the the happier you'll be if you can just get a nice home and get a nice job and get all these material things. And that's what the world's draw is. It tries to tell you here's where the peace is. And the Bible talks about the time when people will say peace, peace, and there is no peace. I'm not so sure that verse is talking about wars between nations as much as it is that people are seeking peace and they cannot find it. We're living in a world like that, and to be real frank with you, if you'll remember back before you got saved, there's no doubt that there was an unsettledness in your own spirit. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 3. Keep your Bible saying We're going to look at several passages today. But I want us to look at some things that I think are very crucial for us to understand. And understand this, if you will, that while there is some peace that comes to our conscience... When, when we uh, have sin removed out of our life from being saved, uh, and there's a, a relief that rolls off of us, and uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about, boy, it just seems like a great weight was lifted. Can I tell you the true peace in the Christian's life comes not from necessarily the sin being removed as much as it is from the reconciliation that has taken place between us and God. The fact that this division that there's been between us and Him uh, before we were saved now is, is gone and we are now uh, able to come to Him and to come into His presence and, uh, and uh, fellowship with Him. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 3, and we're going to look down at verse number 9. Romans chapter number 3, verse number 9. 
What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. And Paul's speaking here to Romans. He's speaking to the Jews in Rome. He said, are we better than they? Speaking of the Gentiles. He said, no. In no wise, for we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And we've said over the last couple of weeks that we are sinners. It's our nature and it's what we do best if we are left to ourselves. And I tell you, there is a, there's a way, the Bible says twice in Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son who went to his father and said, I want uh, my share of, your, of my inheritance. And he went off, and the Bible says that he spent it in riotous living, thinking that the answers for happiness and joy and satisfaction in life were to be found in material things and in the things that the world had to offer. And when he expended all of his inheritance and all of his friends had forsaken him, he, he is starving to death. He's sad. He's at his wit's end. And I will tell you this, I, I would look at that story and say, I don't think he had any peace at all. In fact, he was so hungry that he uh, took the job feeding the swine, which for a Jew was a terrible thing to do. And he would feed the swine. And the Bible says that there were times he would have fed himself with the husks that the swine ate because he was so hungry. He comes to himself and he realizes that no man cared for his soul. There was no peace there. This world seems so glamorous, it draws us so many ways and tries to make us feel like if that's all, if we could get to that place, we would have peace. But can I tell you this? The world never has the answer for peace in a man's life. God is the only one. Look with me, if you will, now in verse number 18. I'm sorry, verse number, uh, verse number uh, 12. And they are gone out, uh, they are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. Their tongues, uh, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Boy, can we not see that in the society we live in today? It almost sounds like the news channel, doesn't it? When we find civil unrest and destruction and misery, look at the homeless problems and the, the, the drug problems on the streets in some of our major cities. Look at the unrest of people and the accusing of one another and the, the civil unrest that there is. Notice as we get to verse number 16, it says, Destruction and misery are in their ways. And I want you to note what in the verse number 17 says, <coughs> And the way of peace, they have... Uh, they, uh, have they not known? The way of peace have they not known. Why? Verse number 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know what, uh, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Can I tell you this? Everyone that has ever been born, that's come to an age of reason and understanding, is guilty before God. There's none righteous, there's none good. And can I tell you this, that is an unsettling truth to our hearts and our lives. 
I don't know about you, I don't like to hear that about myself. Anybody here love to hear that they're a rotten sinner? I don't like hearing that, but it's true, isn't it? It's what the Bible tells us. I'm thankful that that's not where the Bible stops. I'm thankful that when there's unrest and there's an uneasiness in my heart and something that seems to think, boy, there's got to be some answer, Christ steps into the picture. And we realize that, yes, there is an answer for peace. The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Look with me, if you will, uh, to in verse, uh, Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 16. Ephesians chapter number 2. We quoted verses 8 and 9 earlier. <laughs> but I want us to look at verse number 16, if you will. In fact, I'm going to back up just a little bit. And uh, let's go to verse number 13. We're going to read down. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now, I want to stop for a minute and tell you what that's telling us about. And it uses old English words there. You may not understand that sentence. But in Jesus Christ, there was that time that we were far from Him. Our sin created a division. There was a great gulf fixed, if you will. There was something that was between me and God that would not allow me to have fellowship with Him. It was my sin. And this, this, this separation that was there, the Bible says, now in Christ Jesus, this, this person here that was sometimes was far off because of our sin, notice what he says here, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. When we trust Christ as our Savior, that relationship that has been separated all of our life from God now becomes joined together. And now I am brought nigh to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says here. When this reconciliation takes place, when we trust Christ as our Savior, look what it says in verse 14. For He is our what? He's our peace. Who hath brought... Uh, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The thing that separated us from a holy God has now been reconciled. And it brings peace. What a wonderful truth, is it not? Look in verse 15. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making what? Peace. And that he might, what's the next word here? Reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Where does peace come from? Only by having our reconciliation with God. That only comes through salvation. It only comes by putting our faith in what Christ did on Calvary for us to forgive us of our sin and to take that sin that had so separated us from a holy God. Think about this for a moment. The Bible says that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He is absolute holiness. There is no sin in Him. There is no darkness in Him. There is no evil thought in Him. And then look at us. In light of Him, look at us. 
If we were to look in the mirror of God and see our own reflection based on His holiness, well, we don't measure up at all. Because we are wicked. We have bad thoughts. We have bad actions. And that sin has kept us apart. There's been a middle wall of partition. It could not be bridged except by the sacrifice and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where peace comes from. This world is out here scurrying around everywhere they go, looking, trying to find peace. I need peace. I just don't know the answers to life. I, I counsel young people and, uh, sometimes and, uh, that are in, uh, in high school, some of them in colleges, and, and they say, I've I'm, I'm, got anxiety. I, I just don't know. Life is so uncertain. I just don't have the answers. I know they don't like to hear it, but the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to keep searching until they come to a place to realize that there are no other answers in this world that will bring peace. There might be some pleasure. There might be some moments of happiness. But there will not be joy and peace and satisfaction in a, Christian, in a person's life until they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking to somebody the other day, and it's amazing how oftentimes, in fact, I think I said it even in Sunday school this morning, that there are the nation of Israel in, in, in uh in Micah, uh, thought that they were okay with God, and yet they were living in wickedness and corruption. And it's odd to see contrasts that are given in Scripture. In Hebrews, the Bible talks about Moses. And the Bible says about Moses that he would rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was his mindset and his attitude. He would rather suffer affliction with the people of God and make the choice of serving God than to enjoy all the pleasures that sin may bring to him for a season. By the way, sin always has pleasure for a season. But it does come to an end. But then we found that in Micah, the nation of Israel was the exact opposite. They would rather enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and suffer the affliction that God was going to bring by judgment. They didn't care. We're living in a world today that the world so entices men to follow after their way, to enjoy the pleasures of sinful living, and say, we don't care about the, 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 the consequences of this. And as a result, we find a society that is riddled with anxiety. They have fear. They have shame. They have guilt. And they don't know how to deal with it. By the way, when we came to Christ, guess what we had? We had shame, we had sin, and we had guilt. And we gave our shame and our sin and our guilt to the Lord Jesus Christ. And He gave us mercy and grace. Doesn't sound like a fair trade to me. But I'm so thankful Christ did that for me. It allows me to have peace in my life. Look with me in Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. Verse number 20. Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 20. And having made what? Peace through the blood of His cross 
by Him to, what's the next word here? Reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. I'm thankful that God forgives me of my sin. But you know where the greatest peace comes from? Oh, I'm grateful for the fact that I don't have uh, as much pricking of my conscience because God works on our hearts and helps us to try to stay away from sin as much as possible as we can possibly do. But you know where the greatest peace comes from? Knowing that I am reconciled to God forever. That's where the peace comes from. Knowing that that relationship has been restored. I've been bought with a price. The, the balance sheet has come into balance. And I can now come into the presence of God Himself. Paul writing to the church at Colossae there in verse number 20 says that He made this peace. Notice what he says here. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Second Timothy chapter number 1, let's look at verse number 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, that's a salutation, it's a greeting, but I want you to notice something. You know, we often as Christians, we talk about the fact that I have been saved by the, by the grace of God. He has extended me mercy and we love to talk about His mercy and His grace. But notice how Paul greets Timothy. He says, My dearly beloved son, grace and mercy, we expect those two. But then he says, and peace. Where do you get that from, Timothy? All three of them we get from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize that peace comes to our heart only because of the Lord Jesus Christ? It comes to us as sure as mercy comes from Him. It comes to us as sure as grace comes from Him. And these three things Paul speaks of highly to Timothy and says, You have these because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and God Himself. Now look with me in Ephesians chapter number 1. We're going to look at several verses here. In fact, I'm going to give you several references. We're going to find that there are a number of times in the New Testament that this exact phrase... Grace be to you, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We just found one of those where it said grace and mercy. Three other times we find it, first of all in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 2. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It kind of sounds like Paul is putting peace on the same level as grace that God gives to us. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And let's look in verse number 2. Again, a greeting by the Apostle Paul. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Galatians chapter number 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to understand something here, and I'm laying kind of a foundation here. we got seven minutes till noon, and I'm not even to the message yet. This is 
all to lay the foundation for it. But I want us to understand something here, that Christ did not have to do any of this. Look with me in Romans chapter 5, if you will. Romans chapter number 5. Christ was so willing to be a peacemaker with man that He was willing to take the penalty for man and give man His mercy. Look what Romans chapter 5, verse number 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. How do we get peace with God? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ certainly knows and speaks from a position of authority. When He teaches His disciples, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the children of God. Can I tell you this? God's peace is greater than any circumstance that life brings. Look with me in Philippians chapter number 4 for a moment. Philippians chapter number 4. And verse number 7. Philippians chapter 4. And verse number 7. And the peace of God, notice what it says here, which passeth what? Can any one of us sitting here today understand the peace that God brings to us? This peace that God speaks of here, that Paul speaks of here, this peace of God, he says, which passeth all understanding, shall what? Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what Christ does for us. Christ has brought us peace. In a world that had no peace, in a life that had no peace, in a life of, of sin and guilt, in a life that was full of shame and, and, and anxiety, God brought peace. The day we trusted Him as our Savior, that burden rolled away and the peace of God came into our lives. God's peace is greater than any circumstance you and I have in life. It is so great that Paul says you can't even understand the fullness of it. This peace of God which passeth all understanding. How in the world do we in human words, try to justify in a, in, a, in a half an hour message doing an adequate job of speaking of the peace that God brings to us when the Bible says it's past all of our understanding. I'll tell you this, this preacher can't do it. I could never express enough to you what the, what the peace of God is and what it means to us. How, how vibrant it is, how, how much it is extended to us. How much God gives it to us. We could never do justice if we preached all of our life until we were called to heaven on the peace of God. That being said, let's go back to chapter number 5 of Matthew and see what he tells us and what he was telling his disciples. <laughs> he says, Blessed. 
are the peacemakers. What peace do we have to offer? Only the same peace that's been extended to us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. These are the ones who take the message of God's peace to a world that needs to hear it. That is the salvation message. To trust Christ as their Savior. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look in verse number 18, if you will. I'm going to start in verse 17 and roll into verse 18. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God, who hath, what's the next word there? Reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of what? God has reconciled us to God, uh, Christ has reconciled us to God, and He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. What's He speaking of here? He's given us the ministry to do the same for others what has been done for us. To share peace that comes only from God with a lost soul. He's teaching His disciples this peace that I offer. I want you to be filled with it. It's going to be beyond your understanding. You won't even be able to comprehend it all. I want you to take it and I want you to give it to others. I want you to make sure they know too. Look with me, if you will. Verse number 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That's the message of verse 19. The same thing, that God came into this world and reconciled it to Himself by not imputing their trespasses. That's the price that He paid on Calvary. To take away the sin debt that we owed. To not put the sin responsibility on us, but to take it on Himself. He says, I commit that same word of reconciliation to you. Blessed are the peacemakers. Look in Galatians chapter number 5, and we're almost done. Galatians chapter 5, and verse number 22. Dealing with the fruit of the Spirit. Can I tell you this? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation that brings the peace of God to men's lives. We've been given that as a ministry. I want you to notice, secondly, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22. But the fruit... Of the Spirit. And this is a capital S here, so we're speaking of the Holy Spirit. That person of the Godhead that lives inside of us. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Peace. Not only is it our ministry, it ought to be part of who we are. It ought to be the fruit that the Holy Spirit of God bears in our life. And then I want you to notice thirdly in Ephesians chapter number 6. 
Ephesians chapter number 6. Verse number 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of what? Peace. It's part of the Christian armor. He's given it to us as a ministry. He tells us it's the fruit that is born by the Holy Spirit in us. He says it's part of the Christian armor. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. What is it? The gospel message to a lost and dying world. If we're able to bring peace to a lost soul, notice what he says in verse number 9 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Every person that we bring to the Lord Jesus Christ becomes a child of God. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you received the peace that God brings to you. You became a child of God. Paul's telling his disciples, that peace that I'm bringing to you, I want you to go and do the same thing for others that I've done for you. He teaches them that they'll be blessed if they'll do this. And I encourage us today that we need to be peacemakers. I don't know about you, but as a kid growing up, I read these Beatitudes and I came across that verse and I just thought it meant I wasn't to stir up trouble with anybody. As I began to see and understand more clearly what he's teaching here, I believe very strongly that he's telling us we're to take the gospel message and we're to spread the gospel of peace everywhere we go. To make peace in the hearts of other men. This peace that God can only give. To bring it to their lives. Introduce them to it. Help them to see that. Are you a peacemaker today? Have we given our hearts and our lives to try and share the gospel of peace with others? Maybe we have and maybe we've just kind of grown apathetic toward it grown cold toward it. Maybe we just are not as sensitive to doing it as often as we should. Maybe today we just need to say, Lord, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to take that gospel everywhere I go. I want to spread the peace that only You can bring. The thing that is mentioned alongside of grace and mercy, I want to make sure I present that to others. Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. And we'll have an invitation, if Miss Evelyn will play it, just a hymn or so, a verse or two of invitation. And the altars are available. If you'd like to come forward and pray, that's fine. You don't have to. You can pray in your seat if you like. But I would ask you to do this, that whatever God has put on your heart, that you would make whatever decision that that is. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I plead with you, please get that matter settled.